Beards for Radio. Hey guys, um, I'm Sasha. And I'm Joe. And uh, we are two handsome guys, and we have great Beards for Radio. This is Beards for Radio, and it's coming on a great weekend. This is a, a good, you know, midway point between the All-Star Weekend, which has already kicked off. Um, you know, they had the Rising Star Challenge just ended. Team USA beat Team World 161-144. to 144. Kuzma got the MVP. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, we got a little bit of non-sports topics. We were talking about uh, The Walking Dead just premiered back again um we're gonna uh delve a little bit into dc marvel some little observations that mean joe's been seeing between dc and marvel which which way they they've been swaying this and that um and uh the nfl trade what good trades have been made and um uh with kareem hunt getting acquired and you know antonio brown's wanting to get picked up but we're gonna take it all the way back to the super bowl you know, as the furthest thing in our repertoire today that, you know, has happened. So the Super Bowl, Patriots win it again. Tom Brady is Thanos, and he can snap his fingers and do whatever he wants. That guy is going down as the greatest quarterback player of all time. Bill Belichick is probably going, you know, he's going to go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time. And, you know, what did you take away from the Super Bowl? Um, well, it really wasn't the game I was expecting in terms of uh, scoring because, you know, the Rams brought in their high-flying offense and the Patriots seemed to roll out a new offense every week. So, you know, it took me by surprise a bit, uh, the defensive battle that it became. I definitely didn't expect just three points from the Rams, uh, you know, the second-best offense in all of football uh, all year long. But, you know, young quarterback – Young team, really, overall, in the spotlight like that for the first time. You know, Tuesday of media week before the game, you know, Todd Gurley's still talking about, man, I can't believe, you know, we're talking about being in the Super Bowl right now. And it's like, well, the Patriots are tripping over themselves and falling into the Super Bowl. Like, they can almost not avoid the Super Bowl. So I, I thought it was kind of like a disparage of uh, almost, almost like – the just the biggest difference in mindsets because you know the Rams are just you know happy to be here you know up and coming and then you got the Patriots who seemingly can't be stopped like we all really thought this was the year that they just didn't even make it to the Super Bowl and um you know they fooled us again um not to get too personal but for me you know just super bummed that uh the Patriots won it again but uh for me one positive I can take uh Brian Flores called an amazing defensive game um he's, he's the next head coach of the Miami Dolphins I feel a lot more confidence in him than in the guy the Lions picked last year because last year Patriots gave up 41 points to a backup quarterback and lost in the Super Bowl and then this year they gave up three points to the best offense in football and won so I feel kind of better about that that's that's my positive takeaway for me from the Super Bowl <laughs> Yeah. Um, in terms of like Brady in that game, you know, aside from the pass to Gronk that set up the touchdown, you know, like he didn't have his best game. And that, I think that says a lot about the Patriots themselves. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. What I think was just crazy is that that whole game was just controlled. And you're right that, you know, Rams come under the second 
leading offense in the league, and like we don't see any kind of trick plays, you know, on both ends. Actually, you don't see any trick plays. You don't see no like go at it plays. It's like both of them played it safe. And was it because yeah. the defensive schemes on both ends were a lot better than the offensive schemes? Well, obviously, you know. But what got me was is that it came it came down to like a, a certain number of plays, few plays towards the end of the game when. Brady threw that uh, pass to Gronk, like, down to the two-yard line. Like, Brady couldn't have thrown that in the most perfect spot in between three dudes. Like, and, and the only one that could have gone, gone and got it was Gronk, dude. It's like that play right there, I felt like almost like won them the game because then they're at the goal line and they're just going to punch it in with one of their right. three running backs that they have. So it's like it's just it's just awesome to see how – how crazy it is that this man is doing it at this level. And it's like when we watched Tom or not Tom Brady, Peyton Manning do it in a Super Bowl, man, that guy at the Super Bowl, he was throwing ducks. You know what I'm saying? It was like, he was done. Right. You can, you can see him go on like Brady. He was still slaying him and he was still being viable. Albeit being, you know, little dumps to, to Edelman down the middle, but Hey, it worked, and you know when you, when you need him to you know be there, Tom Brady just he just he has it. He has that killer instinct. He has that that Jordan mentality where you know how Jordan turned into you know the black cat and went crazy. That's he, he has a mentality like that, and you know there's no there's no denying. And I don't think he's gonna slow down. I think he's gonna play until he's 45 because he told himself that he's gonna play till he's 45. I think he's gonna hold himself to that. I think he's he's competitive enough where he's competitive with himself that he told himself he could play for 45 and he's going to do it. And I, and you know, I, I actually see him doing it. You know, he, his wife's like a, like a Brazilian witch, you know, they do like crazy stuff on the off season yoga. And I don't know, they eat like bat meat. I don't, I have no clue. I'm just making this stuff up, but seriously, it's like, he's doing something right. You know, he has this whole health thing. He has his, uh, you know, he has his brand. I think it's, I think at this point he has nothing to prove. I think at this point he is just straight up pushing his brand, and you know, he makes it to forty-five. What better, you know, like what better form of marketing is that than you're saying like, yeah, follow, follow my, follow my brand, follow the way we do fitness, follow the way we do health. Because look at me, I played in the roughest league until I was forty-five. You know what I'm saying? And I could have probably still gone on a little bit more. So it's just crazy seeing that they do do it at that level, at that age. Last, The last Super Bowl they played, I, I didn't want them. Last Super Bowl they won, I did not want them to win. Did not want them to win. I did the whole deflategate thing and didn't want them to win. This year, I'm just like, I want to see him do it. I want to see him get – I want to see Thanos snap his fingers. So, you know, it was, it was pretty cool seeing it. I'm not going to lie, to be honest with you. Right, I get I get it from that standpoint. Um, I never thought I'd see a Super Bowl uh, where we see more nipples than touchdowns, but you know that's just how it is. <laughs> um, a couple episodes, I, I kind of said defense doesn't win championships anymore because it was all about high scoring now. But I guess I was wrong, man. Yeah, and and, and I, I I think it's a good for these young guys for the Rams. They're all young dudes. I mean, you got a hell of experience. It's going to uh, roll over to next year. 
You know what I'm saying? They're going to be contenders next year. That's that, that's that's a fact. Uh, unless something happens to Gurley, I don't know what's going on with him because he wasn't himself, you know, postseason at the end in the in the Super Bowl. So, you know, I mean, if they if they can keep all the cogs that they had this year, like doing what they did this year, they did this year. It's going to drag over to next year, man. Plus, they have that experience, so they're fine. They'll be good. Right. They're a young team with a lot of experience, and I think that's really, really a scary thing. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But, yeah, but on the opposite end of the uh, uh, NFL, you know, so we're going on right now is that the acquisition of Kareem Hunt, dude, for, like, I don't know, like a, a submarine sandwich, you know, <laughs> And, like, in my mind, why did it the Lions jump on this? You know what I'm saying? The Browns yeah. look so, so scary now. And it just digs a hole for the Lions even more than being in our con- conference. I mean, them being in our conference and uh, us competing against them, seeing them every year. So, Yeah, you know, it's, it's really disappointing that the Lions decided to sit that one out. Um, you know, I think Kareem Hunt is – a younger player is not like Ray Rice who his career was kind of over, you know, even with the, uh, the video of him, uh, punching, punching his woman, you know? Um, yeah. So the Browns just went out and got Kareem hunt for really a base salary of less than a million dollars, you know, before incentives and whatnot. And, you know, he is potentially one of the top three backs in the league. You know, if he's playing, and they pair him with Nick Chubb in the backfield. They pair him with Baker Mayfield, the young quarterback, who's on a rookie contract. You know, David Njoku, the tight end, is on a rookie contract. Jarvis Landry got paid, but he's about the only guy on that offense that's getting paid. So they really stacked up, and they're doing it on the cheap. And, yeah, like I said, disappointing that the Lions sat it out because, as Bob Quinn puts it, we want good people. Yeah, well, your coach is a rapist, so that doesn't really look great for you. And Jim Bob Cooter, you know, had restraining orders against him that apparently he was, you know, all too willing to um, to uh, not follow. I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. And and like a like he's ultimately like like. Like we want good people in our, like in our like what culture do you have? Talk about your right. culture. What what we we have a losing culture here, man. What kind of people have you had here before? We you know you, you said you draft Titus Young and you knew he had a whole 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 bunch of issues. So don't play that bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So I, I scouted I, Joe Mixon uh, two years ago in the draft. Didn't end up taking him, but you know they were looking at him real real intensely. Right, and exactly. look at what the Lions could have done. You know, they want to run the ball. They want to be Seattle 2.0. Could you imagine, like, on Johnson and um, Kareem Hunt together, both making scraps compared to, like, all-star running backs so you can ride that tandem for two to three years and still have money left over? Yeah, missed opportunity to not even try. It's one thing if you try and Kareem Hunt's like, no, I don't want to go to Detroit. You know, that's different. But they didn't even – they didn't even dip their toes in the water. They were suntanning on the beach. So yeah, it's super disappointing. And uh, you know, there's another there's another high name offensive player who is making the rounds, kind of making the headlines in terms of wanting a change, and that's Antonio Brown. Yeah, and could you imagine if the Browns pick him up because they got people on dirt cheap contracts? 
what makes him think that he can't squeeze Antonio Brown in there? And then you got Antonio Jarvis. You got, one, to me, one of the best quarterbacks that's up and coming because I love Baker Mayfield. I love the fact that he's just a culture changer. You know what I'm saying? That's what that's what organizations like the Browns and the Lions need. They need a culture changer, and that's what Baker Mayfield is. And that's why I think that the, the Browns, if they acquire – AB, oh, lights out, dude. They're going to be one hell of a team, man. You know what I'm saying? You just probably got to work on their def- defensive end because the, the offensive side is going to be solid, man, even even if they don't acquire AB. You know what I'm saying? I just love – I love Baker Mayfield, and I think I'm, – I'm a, I'm a big believer that people can change, first of all. I don't think that, um, you know, Kareem Hunt, Hunt goes around and just kicks every uh, female he sees, you know what I'm saying? Right. So. So I think it was that was a great pick and like yeah so AB where's this guy gonna go because he because he's definitely not playing for uh, for the Steelers he definitely says he he wants to trade so you know what's next you know right. where, where where can he land what what would you feel if Miami landed him well I think Miami should be in the rebuilding stage um, honestly but you know for the right price I wouldn't hate it um, mm-hmm. Miami needs to get a new quarterback but. Uh, I know his preferred trade destination is the Niners. And, you know, I think it would make sense for the Lions to at least make a move at it because I don't think you're going to have to give up as much for Antonio Brown now as you would have two months ago because I think in terms of the Steelers now, their stock with Brown has plummeted and they kind of just want to get rid of him. And, you know, um, maybe Brown would want to come to Detroit. You know, you got an experienced quarterback, which he needs, I think, um, you know, according to agents close to him, he's tired of being the scapegoat in Pittsburgh, which is understandable. Like, hey, how about you come to Detroit where literally nobody is held accountable? Right. Or the, the only scapegoat is the quarterback, where we do hold the quarterback highly accountable in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? And, like, and like, he's getting paid almost $30 million a year, and he's in his 10th year. So come on right. down to Detroit. <laughs> right, because every single year that the Lions play with, with uh, and, and put out this garbage that they put out in the field with, with your boy Stafford at the helm, the more and more people are coming out and being like, okay, what is going on? Hold this guy accountable. It's been 10 years now. So it's like, so it's like, I feel like if we do get uh, uh, Antonio Brown, it's such a good point that you brought up, Joe. If we do get Antonio Brown, I think he will not even be close to being the scapegoat. It's going to be like, okay, we can't even do it with AB, who's like one of the best wide receivers in this generation in the past 10 years, you know what I'm saying? And they're just going to totally right. point the finger at, at uh, Matthew Stafford. So it might be a win-win for Lions fans, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, if the Lions don't even make a move at Antonio Brown, they didn't try for Kareem Hunt, they're basically trying to roll out the same exact offense as last year and hope that, you know, the same players somehow magically put up better numbers. It was one of the worst offenses in the league last year. But, you know, you had a clear opportunity for an upgrade at running back. You didn't take it. Right now, there's a clear opportunity to add another playmaker at wide receiver. And, you know, so far we haven't heard anything. Maybe it's a little too early because we can't officially make trades yet. But they should be making a play at it. Oh, yeah. I think, like, all cards 
are just just need to be out on the table. You know what I'm saying? They should like explore every single option because now now Mr. Patricia is digging is digging himself out of a hole. You know what I'm saying? So now he's like he's got to he's got to win back the trust of the fans first. You know what I'm saying? In, in that way, it's it's only going to be by making good acquisitions on the offseason because if they sit on their hands in Allen Park and there's no acquisitions on the out, um on the offseason to get like big names, like big moves, like big bold moves that we're not used to seeing here in Detroit, then he's really gonna be in a hole come beginning of the season. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't look good the fact that they fired their special teams coordinator during the season, let go of their offensive coordinator in the offseason. And then, you know, the, the defensive coordinator is 100 years old and might die tomorrow. So, you know, it, it just doesn't look good for the staff. doesn't look good that they're not really making moves. You know, with Stafford's age, they're not really in a position where building through the draft is the most viable option. So, yeah, if they don't make at least – if they don't at least try for Antonio Brown, um, you know, I think it's kind of shot for next year offensive-wise because – I don't know what free agents you're going to add that are going to instantly upgrade the offense like that. I don't know what players are going to draft that are instantly going to upgrade the offense like that. So, you know, we might be seeing the same old lions in 2019. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very unfortunate, but I think, I think also is that how we draft come this uh, coming up April, I believe it's in the drafts in April. Correct. If I'm not wrong. But like, yeah. So, um, they can save face there. They can save face on the off season making moves. But will they do it? I just don't see them making good moves on the off season, and I don't see them drafting well because they really. I mean, the last few drafts have been okay. Got carry on. Got a few linemen. They try to address positions that we need. That was really good. Seeing that they would only just draft more the best, you know, talent at the top. Mm-hmm. You know. But, so, but they also whiffed on a few picks, like Tease Tabor, who's going to be making more money than Kareem Hunt next year, and he's not going to play five snaps at corner. So, <laughs> yes, this is true, man. That, that that dude needs to get some speed in his legs, or he needs to do something in the off season to work on his uh, to get faster because he just gets burnt way too much on the corner, man. And it sucks because he's a good sized guy. He's a good sized back. He's just you know not that fast, not that fleet of foot. Well. Here, here's something I want to bring up with you. So it's draft okay. day. You are the GM of the Lions. Available to pick, you got Rashawn Gary, defensive lineman. You need defensive lineman. You got Greedy Williams, corner from LSU. You need a corner opposite Slay. But there's also Kyler Murray, who is oh. committed to playing quarterback in the NFL. Who do you take in that situation? See, me, I've been, I've been, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't take the corner cornerback and take greedy. Okay. Because because I've been I've been the screaming we need bigger, faster corners. We need bigger, faster corners, bigger, faster right. corners since I was young, 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 young. You know what I'm saying? So I I'd be a hypocrite not to, but I'm so tempted to pull the trigger on Kyler Murray. I don't care what people say. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know you 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 you're bringing over you bringing over the Seattle guy. You want to be 
You want to be a Seattle 2.0. You draft Murray. You tried to get Le'Veon Bell over here, or you tried to get Antonio Bell over or Antonio Brown over here, and you want to be you want to be a, a Seattle 2.0. Well, you need a beast mode, right? You're gonna need a running back to to, to offset that scrambling quarterback. You know, you get to open up the field. You have a good run. You have a good running game. You could have even a better passing game. And if you have a screaming quarterback that can throw, you know, you get a half Seattle two point You know, but but I would do the same thing, and I would go with the cornerback. But then again, here I am telling the Lions to make bold, bold moves. So right, I'm that's a rock and a hard place for me. I would love to pull the trigger on Murray. I'm not gonna lie, but I'd feel like a hypocrite if I passed up on a good quarterback like corner back like greedy, because I've been screaming it for so long. So I'd have to go to the cornerback just on, just on my merits alone. But it, it's, it, 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 it is, a, it, it, it is, it is a frog's hair away from uh, uh, pulling the trigger on Murray. I'll tell you that though. Understandable. Yeah. If you have those two cornerbacks, it does, it does allow you to do a lot defensively. Me, if I'm, if I'm Joe doll sitting there, GM, of the Miami Dolphins with the 13th pick. I'm wishing we lost two or three more games so we're in better position to draft. <laughs> or I'm trading, up, I'm trading up and I'm taking Kyler Murray because the Dolphins need a quarterback. They need a fresh start. They need to go in on the rebuild, and I think Kyler Murray's the guy to do it with. If he's available. If he's available. Which he might not be because the Dolphins uh, have an obsession with winning between six and nine games every year. So... Right. And, you know, I'm just, hey, and then people say that Kyler Murray can't do these five foot five, whatever, whatever. But, you know, we saw, I see, we've seen Doug Foodie do it. You know what I'm saying? We've seen a, a shorter quarterback, <clears throat> quarterbacks do it. And if they want to run a Seattle type de- deal, man, wow, Kyler Murray would be such an intriguing right. pick if the Lions went that way. And you know what else look it would at, do? Look at Russell Wilson, who was also a baseball player. Exactly. Exactly. So they have that. You know, and the thing is, though, it would keep now. What is Stafford thinking? <laughs> you know, he started right. thinking like, "Oh crap!" You know, is my time up? Do I need to step up, or are you, you know, gonna kind of work Murray in and seeing if you can get rid of Stafford? But no one's gonna pick up his contract, so it's just it's it's just I don't think the Lions would do it. I think they're gonna go with the corner. I think they're gonna go greedy, LSU, but. But that Kyler Murray is so intriguing. It really is. Kyler Murray might not even be there at eight. So, you know, it might it might be moot. We we that's the thing about the draft is you can read any mock drafts, you can listen to any so-called draft experts you want. Nobody really knows what's gonna happen on draft night, specifically the first round. No one knows who's gonna fall, who's gonna have a uh, you know, a video of them smoking weed surface, you know, or who's right. gonna feel taking a D lineman instead of a quarterback or who's going to trade where vice versa, whatever. So who knows what happens? Not yes. me. So let's go on to this weekend, man. This weekend, big weekend in the NBA. It's all star weekend, man. So do you, do you, do you partake and do you watch any of, uh, any of the, you know, the challenges and stuff like that? You know, I meant to watch the, uh, the rising stars game today. I, I honestly forgot to. Uh, I wanted to watch Jaron Jackson, who had 10 points. But yeah, you know, I enjoy watching the dunk contest. Um, that's always just a spectacle to see. You know, it's interesting to see who gets creative and if they can actually pull off, you know, 
every year, like, someone comes out of the blue in the dunk contest and wows us and comes up with something, like, once you think you've seen it all, you know, seeing people jump over cars, you've seen 360 spins, you've seen, you know, the ball through the legs, you know, two balls, whatever. Um, so I, that's probably the most exciting thing to me is the dunk com- contest. And I know Miles Bridges competing. That just adds something for me, too. Um you know, I usually do watch some of the All-Star game, not all of it, but yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely partake in some of it. All right. So like you mentioned, Miles Bridges is in the Dunk Contest and he is competing against John Collins. Uh, I believe he's um, with Atlanta. I think Diallo. I'm not sure. I think he might be with New York. No, Dennis Smith Jr. is definitely with New York. But um, so out of those four guys, obviously you're rooting for Bridges, correct? Oh, of course, of course. That's who you, that's who you want to win, okay? Now, who do you think is going to win? Do you still think it's going to be Bridges? You know, I think so. Just, you know, I haven't watched him in high school and obviously the two years at State, and I feel like every time I go onto Twitter, I see another video of him doing something crazy in a game. I feel like, you know, he's, he's had some time to prepare something, and he's he's been here before. I think he'll do it. Although I do like Hamadou uh, Diallo, too. Um, but, yeah, I want Bridges to win, and you know what? I, I think he will. Hey, That's you know, Joe, team. I'm going with you on that one, too, but I'm going to back you up and back my brother Joe up. We're, we want we want Miles Bridges to win it. I think he can. I think he's got – I think he's lanky, and he can hop, so I think he can, he can do some stuff. He'll be able to bring the ball around, do some shit. So, yes, I'm going to go with that, too. But, yeah, Diallo got some springs, too, so – uh, all these guys can hop, and even Dennis Smith Jr. He's you know he's a shorter guy. I like I I also like seeing the shorter guys here, but I'm gonna go with Bridges, Michigan State guy. You know what I'm saying, hometown mitten man. So hey, uh, that's where we're going with Miles Bridges. Now, three point contest. We're gonna play a little game, Joe. I'm a I'm a I'm a read off this list, and you're gonna give me who you want to win. Who do you think's gonna win? And a dark horse, because you know, for the for the dunk contest, there's only four guys. For a three pointer, there's right. like uh, what? There's, there's like eight dudes, eight dudes, and then they're throwing in Dirk too. Right. <laughs> okay. That's so I'll tell you right now, I want Dirk to win. Um, so yeah. you want Dirk to win? Okay. So let me go through this first. Let me go through the list, and then and then you can say who you want to win. Who do you think? Is going to win in Dark Horse. All right. So the first person up on the list is is Devin Booker, Curry, Steph Curry, Danny Green, Joe Harris, Buddy Heald, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Dirk Nowitzki, and Kemba Walker. So give me who you want to win. Now you said you want Dirk to win. You want him to go out <laughs> on his yeah. retirement party with, with being the man yeah. with the three point contest. The old so guy Joe wants. That would be great. All right, who do you think's gonna win it? You know, I think Devin Booker is the guy that's gonna pull it off. Ooh, Joe, yeah. do doing complete ones different than me. Um, which would you know add a little more salt in the Pistons' wound because they passed up on him a couple drafts ago. There's oh, there's always a link back to the Pistons, like five degrees of Pistons. <laughs> Stupid moves. Right, and who's your dark horse? Who do you think is going to like surprise everybody? That you know, I, my dark horse is probably the least known name on this list, but that would be Joe Harris, uh, who used to play for the Cavs 
and uh, was also a Virginia Cavalier. I watched him a bit in college. He could create his own shot like very few people in college could. Um, I haven't been following his pro career that much, but I know he was a very good shooter. And, yeah, I, I think out of all the names on that list, like everybody even knows who Buddy Heald is. I don't think a lot of people know who Joe Harris is, so that would be my dark horse. Awesome, dude. Yeah, like I, I went with my dark horse. I did go with Buddy Heald because I think people look at him and they don't really see too much of a shooter is because, you know, I think he's a he's a good shooter. I think I think people look at him and think he's more of like a you know a shot creator getting inside and you know taking to the rack or pulling up midi. But like he's a straight up dog when he comes from shooting from the outside. So he's my dark horse. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, who do I want? To, who, who do I think's going to win it? I think Steph Curry's going to win it because that right. that dude is just like a freaking robot. But who I want to win it, I want his little brother to win it. I want Seth Curry to win it. I want Seth to be like, ha ha, I finally got something over you. You know what I'm saying? I'm not just the guy who, oh, that's Steph's brother and that's Dell's second kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want Seth Curry to be like, hold it up there and be like, yes, Seth Curry actually won something over his brother. So that's that's what I want. I want to see Seth Curry do that. I'm being honest. Like, he played at Duke, so that's an automatic, like, negative for me. Um you know, just because he played at Duke and he beat State a couple times, I don't like him. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I just, I feel bad for him because if your brother's Steph Curry, right, and like, right. God, it's like, it's like you, you be in that channel. I just want him to be like, it, it, it'd be like Curry versus Curry, the last two, and, and Seth just like roasts him. You know, it'd be something cool to see because it'd be like, good, finally, finally, little brother got him friggin' uh, got a um. You know, something over Big Brother, you know, so. Yeah. I also think Damian Lillard is one to watch in that. You know, I think he's one of those all-stars that doesn't get talked about as much as a lot of other all-stars. And he's one of my favorites in the league right now. Um, so, yeah, also Damian Lillard. I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't mind seeing him win. Yeah. All right. So, you know, those are pretty much all the challenges. They have those like big man challenges where they're up and on the court, but I don't know who's, I don't really follow that one. That one just kind of, you know, cannon fodder here and there. That's cool. But so, so the main game, Team LeBron, Team Giannis, who are you going with? Team LeBron, Team Giannis, where you at? You know, I want to go with Team team Giannis because you add Giannis onto the Kumpo, you add Steph Curry on the same team. Um, let me find the roster real quick. I believe they have Kawhi on their team. Is that correct? I believe Kawhi's on LeBron's team. Still, like Giannis to me is um he's he's just taking over the league kinda in a way. Like and and he, he took his time to develop. Like he wasn't someone who was drafted on draft night and everyone was like, Wow, that's someone you can't miss on. Um, you know, team Oh, yeah, Kawhi is on team. I don't know. Team LeBron looks really good. LaMarcus Aldridge, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Kawhi, James Harden, Anthony Davis, Klay Thompson. Oh, man. Right. It, uh, it, they're, they're really scary, man. But at so, the same time, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Paul George, Kemba, who's playing out of his mind right now. Right. Right, because that yeah, like um, like he said, Paul George. That's why he pays a pit. Paul George has been playing out of his mind uh, this year. He's been playing really good. So that is true. 
Right, straight up, straight represent Griffin. So it's like, like it, it's gonna. I, I'm going with Team Giannis too, Team Giannis, I guess. If I ever want to say it, Giannis, Giannis, tomato, tomato. But I'm going with with that that team too because, like, I like him. I really do like him. I think he's just a he's a humble, down to earth person. You know, the dude just is constantly, you know, progressing his game, progressing his game. Watch, he went three for three and three pointers. You know what I'm saying? So it's like he's he is definitely, you know, you know, stepping it up, and he's putting his work into his game and it's showing on the floor. And it's obviously because you know he's a captain, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm going with Team Giannis too. And I think James Harden is going to hog the ball on Team LeBron. So that kind of um, that kind of eases out a lot of the star power that Team LeBron does have. So there's only one ball, man. Yeah, there's only one ball. Yeah. Only one ball, man. And you know, there's um, other stuff besides sports that me and Joe like to rap about. And The Walking Dead is back, man. It's back. So what did you take from it? Are you, you know, are you liking the first episode from, you know, the break, I guess? You know, how you you taking, what are you taking from it? Yeah, so, you know, mid-season premiere, that's usually one of the more exciting episodes. Well, actually, it it differs. Sometimes it's the most boring episode of the season. Sometimes it's the most exciting. Um, This one, you know, we talked about the... Uh, the zombies whispering amongst themselves, you know, and we thought the zombies were evolving, the walkers, whatever you want to call them, were kind of evolving because they're not completely dead. They still got some part of their brains working, as Eugene said. So, er- ergo, if they're living, they can grow and develop and um, change. Uh, but, you know, they kind of fooled us. They were people in zombie masks whispering among the crowd, you know, which... Had a lot of good shock factor in the midseason finale when the dude ducked under Jesus' sword, took it, and stabbed him. Um, but, you know, I thought it would have been a little bit scarier if the walkers could now think and plan, scheme, and talk, whatever. Um, but, yeah, so you have that in the mix. You know, Negan escaping I thought was going to be a big thing. I thought he was going to slowly but surely rise back up to power and you know i was kind of disappointed in that in all honesty like we see him getting out of prison and judith is holding him at gunpoint he says i promise i won't hurt anybody you know whatever um he goes back to the place where he smashed in abraham and glenn he he comps a new leather jacket gets his old look back he escapes some rabid dogs that are rant roaming around the streets um and, you know, he gets back to uh, the sanctuary, and it's it honestly kind of made me a bit sad, like, seeing that once glorious, in his mind, you know, compound, where he he ran the show, he was running the world, he was just a complete badass, and now it's empty, he's got nobody but the locker of um, Big Rick, or whatever his name is. That he used to know. Big Jim. Big Jim, yeah. And, you know, he just decided to go back. And I was I was kind of heartbroken by that. In all honesty, you know how much I love Negan as a character to the show. Like, but you know, I think it's interesting how Daryl uh, kind of used the kid with uh, talking to one of the whisperers in the jail cell. You know, he was like pissed off at the kids. Like, I told you not to say anything. But then he's listening in outside the jail cell, trying to get information because 
you know, um, that girl who they captured doesn't trust Daryl, but maybe she trusts this kid across the cell block who kind of stood up for her, you know? And then, uh, right, right. As always, the most exciting part of the episode was at the end when, um, Luke, the new guy, and, um, drawing a blank on his name, it's like Bolton or something like that. You know, the kid with the beard who's, uh, smushing booties with, uh, I'm drawing blanks on both of them. Um, oh, yeah, um, dude. Oh, the, um, yeah, Carl's ex chick. I can't think of her name now. She has like a weird name. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. The dude who throws the, throws the spears really good. <laughs> so, you know, see, but, uh, he's yeah. the fuckers and then like the one advancing towards them stops and he's like, that's weird. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're surrounded by whisperers and they're obviously captured. So that was the most exciting part of the episode. Of course, it comes at the end to get us, you know, back again next week. That's how it is. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of it is what it is. Like my expectations for The Walking Dead, sadly, are kind of shot. Like I'll still be entertained. I thought it was a decent episode, um, but it made me sad with Negan just not rising back up and kind of accepting his his fate that there's nothing out there for him. Um, what about you? What'd you think about this one? Oh, most definitely, Joe, I'm with you. It's like, I think the Negan story was the most, you know, like, like not action wise, like at the end, at the end, it was like really cool to see all those guys surround him and like see where it's going to go and like the interlands and whatever and whatnot. Um, I thought it was kind of crazy that the whole time, you know, Jesus's character is dead, but he's actually like was in it for like 15 minutes, just like draped over a horse the whole time. But um, that was kind of you know awkward. But the whole Negan story, you know, had me compelled, which was weird to me. Is like, okay, he got out, right? It was dark. He got out. He ate a tomato. He got a shovel, and it's like it's midday, like morning now. But I'm like, I'm like, bro, like, why, why wouldn't you leave in the cover of night when? Uh, a Judith and everyone else is sleeping. You know what I'm saying? And then, like Judas come, Judith comes out of nowhere, like catches him and lets him go. And then, like you said, he goes on and reminisces and like sees Big Jim and like lets Big Jim like try to come in so he like is not alone. And then he's headed back. It was kind of cool that he had like that like that false wall that he had like his yeah motorcycle and everything with it. But when he's coming back, it's like. Judith, Judith is in the middle of nowhere. Right. Right. Pops a shot at him. Right. It's like, oh, there's a lot of people looking for you. It's like, okay. Um, and you found him. You be a little badass combat. Judith found him. That part kind of got me like, okay, sure. Like, she's the one that happened to find him. She's the one that happened to see him jump the fence. Happened to let him go. Happened yeah. to find him. Also, the one who like found the new group of people and saved them and brought them in. So it's kind of, yeah, That's... yeah. So it's like it's like little badass Judith, you know. If, you know, it's it's kind of funny if Rick doesn't do it or Carl doesn't do it. A, a Grimes has to do it. It has to be a Grimes. Right? Got to develop her story for season seventeen or whatever. Right, and and you know what? Another thing uh, I saw that you posted about um, the actress Michonne is um, she's not going to be on. This is her last season, and this is like you, you're right. Like, where do they take it from here? Like, what are you going to get out of it? Like, 
what exactly are you going to get out of it? Because if if Michonne's gone, Rick's gone, Carl's gone, Coral, Coral's gone, you know, you know, all these good good people are gone. I'm I'm, I'm sure that you know Norman Reedus is going to be like, you know, you either have to pay me a bowl of money or I'm gone too. So. I don't know where, which way they're gonna go with that. I think Daryl Norman Reedus might be the last one standing, like like Beth's character said in you know season four when they had their episodes where they're after after the governor's attacks on the prison, you know. But yeah, um, from what I read, like it, it's gonna be kind of like a Rick deal where Michonne will be in a few episodes in season ten and then leave. Um, I don't think she's gonna die. I think she's gonna like go off searching for Rick. Um, which is kind of weird timing because at that point it could be six to seven years after Rick goes missing. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and you know we might never see Maggie again. Um, her, she, uh, what's her name? Lauren Cohen has already taken on a new show, so you know obviously her role in The Walking Dead is going to be extremely limited if we see her at all. Yeah. So it's like, where do you go from here? It's like. Is like you're gonna have to introduce some good, 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 really good, compelling characters. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, if it if it's if it was that easy to me, then Fear the Walking Dead would be just as successful, and it's just not. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like they need to get some really compelling characters, really good actors that can that can and really good storylines to take this, you know, over the top, or they're just gonna lose people, and it's just gonna be like one of those. One of those shows that you're like, can it can it just end? Can it end on a good term? Can you can you not have a Wizards Jordan, you know, type of show? You know what I'm saying? End it on a good note, end it on a high note, and just walk away from it. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you know what I you know what my opinion is on this. You know, wrap it up. You know, you got ten seasons. You got that just got renewed for season ten. Like, that's fine, dude. No one expected The Walking Dead to get 10 seasons. So, you know, you still got Daryl. You still got Carol. I think King Ezekiel is amazing. Uh, but, you know, Morgan left the show. Uh, you got a bunch of kids I really don't care about. You got some drama between uh, Rosita and um, Father Gabriel. The doctor. And Eugene, right. the doctor. Right. So, you know. I guess there's that. There's there's always someone pregnant on the show, apparently. Right, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, I'm with you. It's just like it's it. It's time to wrap it up. And I think, um, that I I don't know what the actress's name that plays Michonne. It, it uh, it's denied Guerrero. Yeah, she is. I think she was like to me, in my opinion, she was like, um, John Blusenthal. They, I don't think they wanted to become, even though Shane, I don't know if Shane was wanting to get written off or not, or just he got written off and it was probably the best thing that happened for him. He doesn't want to become a character actor. Now, we saw her in in Black Panther, and we saw her in uh, the in Infinity Wars, and she was great in it, and she had this accent. So it's like you, you can see the range, you know, of her acting. You know what I'm saying? She's, you know, she, was, she played another female badass that could kick warrior that can kick ass same thing she plays in walking that but i feel like she can probably range herself out now she doesn't want to get stuck just being shown like i can i i, I saw her in black panther and i did not see Michonne. you get what i'm saying you know i watched john bluthenthal in 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 punisher and i do not and i seen him in that movie fury with brad pitt and i do not see shane 
whenever I see Andrew Lincoln, I'm sorry, I just see Rick Grimes. And I just feel like that's why he's stepping away from it as well, because he doesn't want to become just known as Rick Grimes. It's like almost like have you ever watched um Sons of Anarchy? No. Well, like the, the main guy, Jax Teller, is like he's like an English act, actor. And like I can never I've I try I've watched something with him afterwards when he got killed off on if you're watching it, when you, at the end of at the end of Sons of Anarchy, it's like I always see him as Jax Teller, and I think that's why he hasn't like really done a lot of work outside of Sons of Anarchy because he's only known as Jax Teller. That's all I see him as. So right, I think yeah. I think she did I think she did a good job by stepping away because I think it's going to help out her career at the end. To your point, like I saw a commercial uh, for Lauren Cohen's new show, I believe on Fox. I don't know what it's called. I forget. Um. And I was kind of taken by surprise when she wasn't talking with a bad Southern Georgia accent, you know, <laughs> just talking, you know, just with a regular, no accent kind of American like talk. Uh, like, right. Yeah. So I see her and I, I see Maggie. So yeah, to your point, you know, that's, that's an issue with shows going on 10 seasons, you know, um, what's his name? John Krasinski has had a great career, you know, directing, acting, you know, he's in John Ryan. He did a quiet place. But anytime I reference him, I'm like, "Oh, Jim is doing this," you know. So. Right, and you know, I think I think they didn't want that to, to always happen to him. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, um, I forget what movie that uh, it was, and John Krasinski's in that movie where they're they're like in it's a Benghazi. It's about Benghazi and everything. And he's in that movie too, and he's a good actor. But I just see like. Jim from the office being Rambo, you know, like I'm so with you on that one. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. So it's like, I think she did a good, I think that's why they're stepping like, I've done enough, you know, I've made enough money to the point where, you know, I want to do what I want to do, you know, in my art, in my career, what I want to do was passionate to me. And I give, and I give people like that, I didn't feel like they've done it give enough i give people like that a, a, a lot of credit you know it's 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 hard it's hard to do to leave something that you know has been a better part of you for you know a decade right right and something that a lot of people would honestly kill to have that opportunity but sometimes you know people on the outside don't really know what it's like on the inside until they get there and it's too late Yeah, um, states came back strong off of their, you know, three losses. Um, who was it? It was Illinois, Purdue, yeah, and at, I forget who the at Go Purdue, ahead. Uh, which you know I couldn't be mad at. It was it was at the end of a long week where they played three games, two against ranked teams, two on the road. You know, Purdue at Mackey, that's a different animal. Uh, but they had almost a week off. They play Indiana at home, and they really just looked underwhelmed. Um, you know, the news had broke a couple days earlier that Langford was in fact done for the season. He wasn't going to make a comeback at any point, which I think did play a little bit of a factor, but I'm not going to let them off the hook that easily because they really played shamefully against Indiana. And we've said it on the show. Don't overreact to, uh, home wins or road losses. Do overreact to home losses and road wins. Well, you had a, a home loss to a team that had lost seven in a row, including games to Rutgers. And I just feel like you can't lose games at home right now and expect to get away with it in the big 10. And then, you know, at Illinois, they turned the ball over 24 times. Um, 
They got down by as much as 14 in the second half. But what bothered me the most was the fact that they stormed back, took a lead, and then lost the game. You know? Yeah, but, you know, they, they bounced back big, too. They, they, it's not like they didn't bounce back against the top 20. They bounced back against the top 20. And, like, Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin to me is always, like, even though they're always, like, top 20, 25, I, I, I know that Michigan State and Michigan can handle them because they have, like, the, the one, like, white dude that's, like, really good down low and in the mid, you know, in the mid-range. And, like, it, it, won't, it, won't, it won't push them over the edge. So, it's, like, I always know that – State and Michigan has their number, but like to me, my my boys, I'm not liking the little dip they've been taking. You know, what I'm saying I think uh, I think losing to Penn State should be a smack in their freaking faces. Um, I think I, I think that um that when Xavier Simpson got picked and he got popped pretty good and they didn't call it. Oh well, they didn't call it. Move on. You know, what I'm saying I felt like he just you know I I want to take my ball and go home you know, attitude and kind of pissed me off. And I think that uh, beeline getting tossed out wasn't a good thing, even, even though sometimes you show passion for your kids. Yeah, whatever, whatnot. But I think they can bounce back. And like you said, oh, like, yeah. don't, you know, don't, don't overreact to a lot of stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, and, 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 and go ahead. So you're, are you kind of mad at John beeline for the ejection then? Yes. And no, because it's like, I get, I get if you're mad, you're you're mad that your dude like that that that, that should have been that, that that was that was a that was a shoulder. He dropped his shoulder. He wasn't the set. It was a moving pick. You know what I'm saying? It was. I get it. And John Bilano was pissed, and I can't tell I can't tell that man to be upset, not to be upset when one of his boys is getting knocked out like that. You know what I'm saying? But it didn't help. It didn't help the rest of the the rest of the game that we didn't have Beeline there. So it's like a catch twenty two. You know what I'm saying? Right. Here's why I really fault the refs in that situation. Um, and I was talking to Mike about this a little bit uh, during the game. Like, it seemed like the situation had kind of died down. Like, you know, you got the nasty pick, buzzer beating layup. John Beeline goes there. He's like, what the hell? Like, you guys aren't going to call this? Are you kidding me? And as he's walking away, he gets the tech. That's messed up to me. And, you know, he kind of I, – I think that really pissed him off too. Like, they poked the bear that decided to just sniff you and leave you alone. So he turns around, he's pissed off about this one tech because the situation was diffused. You know, Sadie Washington came up and was kind of like guarding him. So that pissed him off even more. And then it really didn't take a long time after that to get a second technical. It's kind of like a really short fuse on the refs, in my opinion. Like, you know, we, we've heard the numbers all week. You know, Beeline hasn't been ejected since 78 or 79, you know, when he was coaching at a community college. It's like, you know, coaches, it, they almost have a right to get in a ref's face every now and then. Izzo does it all the time. I'm surprised he's never been ejected from a game, in all honesty, knock on wood. Um, but, yeah, to me, like, to call the technical on Beeline while he's walking away from the situation and then to call the second one on him when he turns around and is like, Are, did you seriously just call the tech on me? Like, you know – I felt bad, but I don't, um, I don't think it's the reason they lost. I think they really got, oh, like as Charles Matthews put it, they got punked in the first half. Um, you know, they kind of they kind of fought back, but Penn State basically led the whole time, and I, I think Penn State did outplay them, and that happens sometimes. You 
really don't want to be the first place team playing on the road at the last place team who's got nothing to lose and you got everything to lose. Yeah, dude. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. And like, I don't take too much stock into it, but I just, what I do like notice a takeaway is that as, as good as Brazdikas is, sometimes he forces a lot of stuff. Right. And it's just like, you know, you're a strong kid, you're a good ball player. You don't need to force everything. You know, you, you got three other guys on the, on the floor that can create their shots. You know what I'm saying? So, um, or two other guys on the floor that can create your shots. One, can, one facilitates and your big man that can, you know, pick and pop, pick and roll. So he needs to not force it as much. That's what kind of pissed me off too is that he, he got his, he got his like, he got the like gangster swatted. Uh, numerous times that that game and like I don't like you block fine you get blocked fine but when you get like dude cocks back and like swats flies and smacks that ball and pins you or you know just, you know it's demoralizing it's demoralizing I think that's what that's the thing that's what happened I think they came out there and like uh they they, they socked them up they knocked them around to the point where Michigan was like I want to take my ball and I want to go home it's like no bro. You get knocked, get back up, and you know, hit harder. You know what I'm saying? Get in their faces, yeah. hit back. You know what I'm saying? Big, big, big deal if you get a technical or, 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 uh, or, uh, you know, just, just don't get ejected. You know what I'm saying? But let them know that you're not going to take the smack in the face. Let them know that you're not going to take letting your little, letting your point guard get, get picked on a, uh, you know, blindside block, pretty much. You know what I'm saying? So. And yeah, I hope they'll bounce back. But yeah. the Midwest, the Midwest is so strong in basketball that I always I see this happening to good teams right. randomly. But to me, like maybe more often lately than not, and for better or for worse, it seems like as Brazdikas goes, so goes Michigan. Like if Brazdikas is on, it's it's great. Nobody's gonna beat you. But if he's having even like a slightly off day, it, it can spell some trouble. And, you know, he didn't score at Wisconsin. He he struggled with fouls at um at Penn State. I didn't really watch the Iowa game, but you know, that was a 15 point game. Um, so to me, anyways, I haven't watched as much. I know Charles Matthews has been putting on more of an offensive show lately than what's expected of him. But outside of Matthews and Brazdikas, like I you know, I love Jordan Poole, but he really hasn't been shooting it all that well. Uh-uh. Um, you know, Teske had a really nice stretch in January. Um, I think, you know, he's another guy that if he struggles with fouls, um, you know, that's Michigan's depth really starts to bite them in the ass or lack thereof depth. Yeah. And, um, and I think you're, like you said, as it goes with Brazikas, but when it's not going for him, he still is forcing it. And like, I know, I understand that. You know, playmakers are going to try to uh, make plays. Shot creators are going to try to shoot, uh, create shots. Shooters are going to shoot. I get that. Don't get me wrong. But it comes a time where you got to realize that if you're not on, you can you can contribute in, any, in other ways. You know what I'm saying? I think Brazdik is a smart enough and a good enough ball player to do that. He needs to stop forcing it. And like, and, and then maybe it won't go as Brazdik as goes. You know what I'm saying? It will go as, you know, the team goes. Yeah. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about Michigan State, too. Um, Shoot. Yeah, one thing they really got going for them is what I like to call streakability, uh, which is positive or negative, but it feels like they're never out of a game because at any given point, they can make a run. They're down by eight at Iowa. They make a 24-2 to run, you know. They're back and forth with Maryland. They make a 
26 to seven run, you know? Um, and that's something about the Wisconsin game that was different because it was on the road against a ranked team and neither team had a great game. Neither team had a negative game. They both played their games like they wanted to, to a certain extent. Both teams were playing pretty well, I thought. And Michigan State pulled it out. They got that winning DNA. It's like they got their swagger back from the three-game losing streak, which is good. Um, and to me, it comes down to three players. And I'm I'm not going to mention Nick Ward and those three key players, even though he may be the biggest X factor. The three players I want to talk about, obviously Cassius Winston. Oh, you know, when Izzo was on his case for sometimes. Sometimes when Izzo was on his case, he calls him casual Cassius. Well, lately, it's been crafty Cassius. He's been crafty as hell because teams are trying to throw different ways to guard him at, at him, you know. And last year, right. he would have his freshman year, he didn't even play enough to get those kind of looks. But he's really expanded. He's not just a spot-up shooter. Like, he can hit it from all, all spots on the court. But, you know, he's using his dribble well. He's a true triple threat in terms of passing, finding people on the court, you know, you would never think are open until he finds them. Driving, he's great at driving. He's a fantastic finisher. He, he's not, like, super speedy, but he's fast enough. And he's, like I said, he's crafty enough. Um, second player I want to talk about, Aaron Henry. Um, he's starting to look for his shot more. Um, with Langford out, they need someone. They don't need 15 points a game, but they just need someone who is going to look for a shot. And I thought Henry did that fantastically at Wisconsin. He scored eight points. A lot of them, well, I think all of them were right in the key. Like, he just drives to the key, finds a spot, bam, spot up, like jumper. He had one play where he drove into the lane, jumps up for a layup, and he's kind of, like, met at the rim, and he tossed it back. Perfect timing to cash this for a three. It was amazing. And then nice. the third player Let me guess. Let me – Sorry. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it is it Matt McQuaid? It was actually Kenny Goins. Um, wow. I thought you were going with McQuaid. Go on. Kenny Goins is just the ultimate Iron Man, dude. Like, in his career, he's had his nose broken. He's, you know, had knee issues. Right now, you know, I was at the game on Saturday against Minnesota, and he, like, did something to his elbow. He came back. It, it didn't look like it affected him whatsoever at Wisconsin. And I got a comparison. You know, a 10-year-old comparison for Kenny Goins right now. I think he's playing like Goran Sutan. You remember who that is? No. Okay. <laughs> um, local kid like Goins, redshirted his freshman year like Goins, was a rebounding machine for three years like Kenny Goins, but started to develop a shot. And his senior year, Goran Sutan, was the most valuable player of the Midwest region as he led Michigan State to the Final Four and was shooting, uh, I believe, almost 30 or 40% from three-point land, which you wouldn't expect from a big man not highly recruited out of high school. Kenny Goins, over the last um, six or seven games, is shooting 41% from three-point land. Like, that's crazy. You tell me before the season that Kenny Goins at one point is going to be shooting 41% from three? I would take that every day. So I just believe Kenny Goins is just that energy guy. And, you know, I will bring up Matt McQuay because I think it can't be lost that he has just been playing outstanding defense. Carson Edwards is tearing up the league. He had his two worst scoring games against Michigan State with Matt McQuaid on him. So that that cannot be uh, – that can't be overlooked. Yeah, that's it. Those, those are some good ones, man. But tell me why – 
Kenny Goins looks like he's like 30 years old. <laughs> that dude looks like he's like a man child. The guy does not look like he's uh, uh, in his early 20s. But hey, yeah, that, that's his injuries, man. Right, yeah, that's true. That, that could be true. But yeah, dude, he's he's, he's a rough and tumbler. But I do, I really like Matt McQuay too. Um, I think he's very underrated. I think you know when you look at him, you're like, this guy doesn't pass the eye test. But dude, when he balls, that dude can ball, man. He can he he pulls up, he shoots. He's such an excellent shooter. I like I I, I like his form. Um, but you're right, dude. It, it, it it's it's Cassius's team. You know what I'm saying? Cassius can um do a lot. Like you said, he was a triple threat. I watched uh, I forget what game I was watching where he kind of sat out like the first I don't know, like he was in for the you know, the first quarter and then he kinda sat out and he came back in the second half he, and he was just balling out. I mean he was like uh he did which one was it? Game. It was probably the what? Minnesota game on Saturday. He had some foul trouble in the first half, but then the first minute, minute and a half of the of the second half, he had a behind the back pass to Ward, another assist. Yes. He had a drive to the lane that was just insane. Yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead. He had one. He had one where he was out at the wing and uh, he he was kind of like still facing that, and he turned in. And I didn't know where he was going to throw it, dude. And he hit somebody all the way, skip past into the corner. And I was just like, wow, dude. I'm like, that, I was like, I didn't even, I didn't see that. And I'm watching from a bird's eye view. So yeah, man, um, you know, stay And you know, what's crazy too, is that Izzo has this like un, uncanny ability to turn teams that like people did, that, okay, he doesn't have a good team this year. They're not going to do it this year. And then they freaking do it. And then they had the teams like, oh, dude, they're stacked to do it this year. And then they end up losing in, like, the first round. And you're like, you know, like, he has this uncanny ability to take, like, like <clears throat> these these guys who are, like, not highly touted. Like you said, they're not, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, they're not really complete this year. Dude, just it, it just it just goes to the fact that Izzo can develop players and he can coach out of his mind, man, so. I mean, we're, 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 I, I, I still stand by it. I think that both of our teams are top five teams. I think they're going to go far into the, far into the, um, tournament. into the tournament. Yeah. And I think that all could, all attributes, the main tribute, uh, uh, attribute to that is, is the coaching. It just, it has to be, you know, they're two good coaches. And, you know, Izzo's not afraid to borrow from his neighbors either. I thought that was a key to, uh, the game against Wisconsin on Tuesday night was, they kind of borrowed from what Michigan did, and they didn't double-team Hap. So they really took away what Ethan Hap can do as a passer. And for a big man, he's a very good passer. Um, but, you know, Hap, he's going to get his points whether you double-team him or not. So you might as well just leave someone else on him and leave everyone else at even guards. That's why Demetri Trice, uh, younger brother of Travis Trice, one of my favorite Spartans, uh, Demetri Trice only had two points, and that was on uh, – that was on a bad pass from Cassius that got intercepted, taken all the way. Uh, Brad Davison, who I cannot stand, only had 10 points, uh, three of which were at the buzzer when the game was over. So, you know, that, that was something that I think uh, Michigan did on Saturday versus Wisconsin, and that Michigan State kind of borrowed the concept. And honestly, Nick Ward played amazing defense on Ethan Happ. I never thought I'd see the day where that happened. But, yeah, Nick Ward was playing out of his mind defense. You know, I didn't mention, but his effort has gone way up from the three-game losing streak because I think he, in those 
in the games against Purdue and Indiana, he had a combined nine rebounds, and that just shouldn't happen. And then Izzo did not start him against Illinois, started Xavier Tillman in his place to kind of like, you know, you know, you're not the only big guy on this roster. Like, if, if I need to, I'll start Tillman. Right. And Ward has really taken that to heart in the two games since. Hey, I mean, it, this is his last year. He has a lot to prove to, you know, before, you know, before the draft uh, this coming up year. So he has a lot, a lot, a lot to prove. And I, I think he needs to do it every single, you know, second. He needs to be on the floor. He's going to want to be there because, you know, like we said, I think he's been following what his coaches said, what is these NBA guys that came back to him on the offseason said. So I think he's – like, to me, I like I said, it. I haven't seen him better conditioned in all his time at Michigan State than he's been conditioned this year. And it's showing because he's bossing people around. And, you know, like – and if he and if he starts developing more of a jump shot outside of the realm he can, yeah, he's going to be dangerous. So you brought up an interesting topic before we came on about how the Disney's purchase of Marvel is kind of affecting the outlook in terms of violence, you know, light, dark, uh, what have you. Uh, so I'll let you, I'll let you run with this topic. All right. So it all happened when like, I had like nothing to watch. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to start a show and I'm just, you know, thumbing through Netflix. Oh, Gotham. So I started watching Gotham on, you know, Netflix. We, you know, that's the, it shows everything young Bruce Wayne and it starts off, you know, obviously with the, with the Bruce Wayne origin walking down the alleyway. His parents get killed, pearl necklace, yada, 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 just in the third. So this is, it, it starts off like that, but it's still, but Bruce Wayne is still young and he's still like, you know, not even knowing if he's Batman and, and you know, there's a young Jim Gordon and there's a young uh, Penguin, a young Riddler, like all these villains are all younger and they're all like, this is like pre Batman. Right. And, you know, Ra's al Ghul's in it and Rachel Ghul, I want to say his name is in it. And it's really violent. It is truly violent. It's like they show headshots, you know, they, they kill innocent people. They bomb the, you know, you know, like, a. Like a whole friggin' uh, safe haven with uh, of people. It's like they actually show like it's like craziness, you know what I'm saying? And then I I, I caught up on that and I started watching that uh, DC Titans, the live action Titans show that's on the um the DC stream uh, service, and that's even more violent. And it's 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 rated R, but it's so it's such it's such a good show, you know what I'm saying? Um. The the guy who plays Robin, the main character, is actually um, Will Turner in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, their, their their son, Orlando Bloom's son in the movie. So he's he's a little older now. He plays Robin, and he played such such a good job, dude. It's like I'm blown away by like I'm like if this is the DC stream service, you know, if this is what's going on on this, I'm like I'm thinking I'm gonna watch more more shows on it. You know what I'm saying? Because I've been reading that Swamp Thing. It's on there. That's rated R. They're saying that's really violent. So I started thinking, like, I'm like, why are these you know, DC shows so violent? I'm thinking, like, okay, what's Disney's stream service? Disney's Disney Marvel. I'm like, you know what? I'm sitting there watching these Marvel movies, and like, they don't like show too much gore. It's like they they knock people out, or you know what I'm saying, or like, 
you know, the, uh, it, they ripped the stone out of Vision's head, but there's not really like so much violence where it's just like, whoa, whoa. You know what I'm saying? So I start seeing this more and more Marvel I've been seeing over the past few years. It's kind of been getting sweet, watered down in a sense, you know what I'm saying? To, to cater more towards the Disney side of it, or is Disney dumbing it down because you want to cater to more kids and DC is seeing that. Okay, fine. We're going to go crazy adult shit here. And we're going to, you know, make these uh, very violent shows and they're going to be all, everything's going to be rated R, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, we're going to win the adult fan base who has the money. So like, I don't know. I it just could be just like, I might be looking into too deeply or like but i've seen marvel over the past few years get a little sweetened sugar down i've seen dc get a little more darker and violent but you know that that's me what i'm seeing like what do you think well you know dc's always had batman who was always kind of dark um but yeah they kind of continued the trend with the man of steel and then batman versus superman and um yeah you know it's definitely definitely an astute observation i haven't seen the titans one but you know i've watched a bit of gotham and it's definitely that bleak kind of hopelessness that it kind of caters uh in the tv show and then yeah i look over at marvel i don't know exactly when disney bought them but you know the first iron man movie was pretty dark you know dealt with tony they dealt with tony stark getting captured by terrorists and having to you know free himself oh and also you know he's got this thing in his heart that if it malfunctions he's gonna die like no way around it <laughs> and you know uh, I, I don't know exactly when disney bought marvel but yeah like the last couple movies even though a lot of them have been really good have been kind of avoiding the explicit violence avoiding you know death in a certain way you know the most graphic thing was you know thanos snapping his fingers and people fading away into dust almost peacefully you know Yeah, most definitely. And like, and also too, is it's like, I think that if Marvel really wants to be successful with that, because there are characters in the Marvel world that are very violent, very violent. For instance, Deadpool, the last Wolverine movie, the last Wolverine movie, I think everybody was waiting for that old man, Logan. They wanted to see him claw people's legs off. They wanted to see claws go through head. They want heads. They wanted to see that as the Wolverine that everybody needed to see. So I think Marvel really needs to walk that line and, and, and also cater to the adults in, in the Marvel world who want to see the Deadpool violence, who want to see the, 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 the Wolverine violence. And I think, um, and I think they can do that because I think they're really successful with it with the Deadpool because Deadpool just released a kid-friendly version of Deadpool. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I want to watch it with my kids. I want to watch it with my kids because I want to see how they kind of react to it. And I want to see how Deadpool actually caters to the kids. And I think that's that, that's the kind of a cool little concept that Disney and Marvel are messing with. I get it. Cool. But, they're, but like DC... There is no line. There is no line that they walk. You know what I'm saying? They are dark and it is violent and there's it is like no remorse. And I think you hit it on the head when you said that bleak hopelessness because you get that when you watch, you know, you watch Batman movies 
you know, from, from the first one with Michael Keaton to this Gotham to Titans, there's a, there's like a hopelessness, almost like a fog, a mist, an aura in the air where there is a bleak, uh, Joe, I love that bleak hopelessness. That is just <laughs> spot on, dude, spot freaking on. And uh, I just see Marvel just sweetening it up because they know that it's Disney and they, they got to sell, you know, more group, more, you know, rocket raccoon stuff at the Disney stores and this, that, and the third, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, I'm, it, I, 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 me as being a Marvel fan, I seem, I've been finding myself being more attracted to DC content because it's more up my adult alley than watching. Like, like I, I love watching uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, oh, yeah. but you gotta admit, ever since like Guardians, yeah, everything's been like kind of like fun, you know, yeah. joke. There's like lighthearted humor to it. You know what I'm saying? And like DC, it's not like that. It's been like upbeat and colorful and like cosmic. You know? No. Yes, absolutely. Bleak hopelessness. I first thought of that when I was watching Michigan State football's offense this year. <laughs> oh, damn. But yeah, DC. But yeah, that's DC. Like, not only are like the the stories dark, but it's just shot like darker. Like, it's not as colorful. Like, it's all gray and you know, not it's not blue skies. It's all gray skies and kind of misty, kind of foggy. Whereas, yeah, lately Marvel movies like Thor Ragnarok, super colorful. Like, you look at the the uh the intro theme you know is all fiery and it's got uh the led zeppelin song playing you know <laughs> whereas yeah from the beginning like you know aside from a couple joel schumacher movies here and there like dc movies batman movies have always been super dark you know and just not colorful so even like down to that kind of term like the the way we visualize it is so much different Right. Yeah, most definitely just just the scales they use. But another thing is that too is that um like like I said, there's like so many Marvel characters that you cannot sweeten up like Punisher. Like you can't like there's no way you can like stop a hail of bullets or an interrogation from Punisher and make that like water down for kids to watch. It's just it's just not the right thing. But then again, you can't just completely phase them out because Punisher is beloved by many. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I want to really see how Marvel and Disney, you know, walk that fine line with, you know, ultra super violent, you know, and, you know, cosmic, like you said, cosmic, you know, almost comedic where it's where it's like uh, rather knock them out than kill them or don't even show the killing at all or make it like a, a peaceful fade away into dust and ash. So, yeah, that's just, like, my observations on DC and Marvel lately. Well, you know, that kind of comes back to another franchise that was bought by uh, Disney, Star Wars. Like, you looked at A New Hope, and it was kind of, um, you know, iffy for kids. But, you know, you let some kids watch it. You watch The Empire Strikes Back, and it's kind of darker. It deals with some some darker issues. And, you know, I think after those two movies, Star Wars was really walking the line of, is it kids franchise or are we going to like cater more to the adults be more like dark with it and i think they ended up going with the kids because you watch return of the jedi and you know it's brighter it's got the ewoks you know teddy bears that you know unreasonably take down stormtroopers and the empire um (laughs) whatever and then you know the prequels were really more on the kitty side and the the last jedi was really uh kind of more of a joke 
<laughs> then it was dark, you know. Maybe The Force Awakens was a little dark. Um, but even that one kind of catered, like, you know, Aaron more on the light side in terms of, like, how it feels. Aside from, like, spoiler alert, Han Solo dying, in case anyone doesn't know that. Right. So, yeah, that's another one. Is, you know, Di- Star Wars is now owned by Disney. And, you know, got two movies to base it off of. Well, really four because of um, Rogue One and Solo. Um, but, yeah, those are kind of Aaron more on the on the kid family side than, you know, getting deep into, you know, I don't know, darkness or whatever. Right. I mean, like, look at they got away with massacre, massacring a bunch of younglings. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, think about that. It's like they didn't show it. They didn't show it, though. So it's like it's like, yeah. It, right. But like, yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to walk that line because there's going to be there's going to be those fans who are going to want it. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be the fans that are going to, like, kickstart the movie, you know, you know, sign a petition, you know. Nowadays, you know, everybody could, you know, do something. So, like, you know, I just think that Marvel really needs to walk that, you know, figure out where that perfect, you know, happy medium is for everybody because I've been finding myself attracted to a lot of DC stuff, you know, and like we, we talked about it before, the the Batman cartoon movies. Those are great. I can, I can, I can, I can sit there and binge watch them again. Cause they're great. Great. You know? So if, if that's the kind of content that DC streaming is putting out, I'll definitely, definitely watch some more stuff. Right. Yeah. And that was an astute observation uh, by you when you brought it up about, yeah, it's something that maybe, maybe it's the specs, the specs vision that we've been taught, you know, going to school for this stuff, but yeah, like, the visuals are darker and the storylines are more, you know, they're not on the lighter side in terms of how DC does it. Whereas uh, Marvel in a lot of ways are getting like every color of the rainbow in there. Um, and, you know, it's not getting super explicit. Like, you know, the darkest scene was probably like you said, Thanos taking the stone out of vision's head. And, you know, even that, you know, vision's a robot. Like I'm not too emotionally invested in him. Right, and even even when even when Thor was sitting there with Stormbreaker in his chest, and there's purple blood oozing everywhere, it wasn't like oh my god, oh you know, it wasn't like it was just like oh it's a alien bleeding purple, you know. So, so yeah, so that's was kind of my observation. So, um, you want to kind of sum it up what we talked about a little bit? Mm, yeah, jumped into the NFL, talked about the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, Belichick, and then we say more. Never count the never count the Patriots. I think everybody's learned their lesson. Um, we talked a little bit about AB, where he would fit in if you know what would be good good for him. Obviously, the Browns pickup with Green Hunt makes them like three hundred thousand times better. Um, we hopped over to talk about NBA All Star um, weekend and what's going on with there. That's right. We also talked about, you know, mine and yours, little, oh, our favorite is in-state basketball, Michigan State. Wolverines, how they're going, we'll always be talking about them, football and basketball-wise. In our nice sports topics, we're talking then and our DC Marvel, dark versus light, you know, humor versus violence and gore. So, 
you know, I think it kind of covered everything. Joe, what do you think, man? Yeah, we really got to a lot uh, this episode. Um, I think the Browns are now the favorite to win the AFC North, um, even though I like Lamar Jackson and Baltimore's defense. Um, and, yeah, you know, The Walking Dead, it might not be the best show on TV, but I'll, I'm still going to watch it every Sunday night. I'm just upset in my ways. Can't help myself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to oh, go watch Walking Dead, but it's just like – I just need it to end on a high note. Right. I need to ride that wave into the sunset, baby. Right, right. All right, man. But yeah, other than that, I think we covered everything. Joe, great chatting with you as always. I'm Sasha. And I'm Joe. And this is Beards Radio. If you like this episode of the Beards Radio podcast, please give a visit to far-ebar.com. If you want to support local businesses, Small businesses, uh, this is as small as it comes because it's just one guy. Again, that's F-A-R-E-B-A-R to check out some sweaters, hoodies, tie-dye t-shirts, regular t-shirts, bags, hats, any kind of fashion product, accessory you can imagine. He's done it, and he's 100% original. Again, that's F-A-R-E-B-A-R dot com.